0: Of a misconception that the penguins have some old team yeah they've got some veterans but they've got two guys in one especially important position who are anything but good morning good wednesday morning i'm dan kovacevic of dk pittsburgh sports in the newly reborn dk sports radio and you can hear this program the daily shot every monday through friday morning including via automatic download if you go to Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Anchor, everywhere that good free podcasts are sold, you can find this one. We'd appreciate it if you set it up for auto-downloads. really helps us out. I was at the Penguins practice again yesterday, as I was the day before, and... There's a lot of positive impressions to be made on the way it's been conducted and on the way that it's been embraced. And I'm going to be getting into that in the second segment of this program. A lot of the enthusiasm, the energy, the physical contact and things like that that honestly I kind of had my doubts about going in. I think you'll enjoy some of what's shared there from Mike Sullivan in particular. But there might not be anything that's made a bigger impression on me through these first couple days, quite like the Penguins' legitimately young defense pairing of John Marino and Marcus Pedersen, And yes, that will be the pairing. Mike Sullivan confirmed it, even though it had been displayed on the ice for both days that he and the coaching staff, in particular Jacques Martin, who's responsible for managing the defense during games, spent a lot of this time during the coronavirus break looking over their pairings and going back to the, the beginning of this season. Yeah, I know, like a year ago. And seeing what these two did during the brief time they were together, and they really liked it. There was a good chemistry, there was a good understanding that Both players like to join the attack, sometimes even lead the attack. And yeah, Pedersen, too. Don't don't shake your head like that. Pedersen does it, too, and enjoys it. And even though they're both younger, and even though there are veterans with whom either one could have easily been paired, they've chosen to go this route. And at the same time, the only thing that's surprising about that is that both are so smart, so mature, so advanced in their on-ice thinking that you actually can't tell which of the two is really the adult out there. I actually put this question in pretty much those terms yesterday to Pedersen himself. Here's what he had to say. Marcus, between you and Johnny, who's the old yep. man of the pairing? Oh,
1: tough to say. Uh... You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, the way Johnny's been playing, I mean, he plays like he's been on the league for, for 10 years. So um, I would have to say him right now. Uh, maybe off the ice, it's more me. Uh, but, uh, I mean, he's uh, he, he's been real. Lights out and he, he reads the game so well. And he plays like he like I said, like he's been on the air for 10 years with his poise and everything like that. So,
0: um,
1: I mean, probably him on the ice then.
0: I love it. The The dude's funny in his own way. He really is. Kind of a, a droll sense of humor, as a lot of the Swedes will have. He and Marino are both bright, grown-up beyond their years. I happen to believe that of the two, Marcus is the one who's going to have to take ownership on the ice more, if only because he's in his third-plus season in the NHL, and Marino is, it's easy to forget, still a rookie. Pedersen has played a lot of games. He doesn't miss any, and he's been through a lot more situations, and in particular is going to be able to read and adjust to rushes uh, mentally, maybe more than Marino. Marino just has that natural closing ability on the rush where he can just engulf someone But that's not always going to mean he's going to be engulfing the right opponent, if that makes sense. There's still decisions to be made. There's still uh, choices and assignments, targets to pick up as they're approaching you. But man, they can be good together. They really can. And what a difference they can make for the Defense Corps as a whole. Think about this from Jacques Martin's perspective. He's at the end of the bench, and he's making the decisions through the game, of course before the game as well, as it relates to playoff matchups. And pretend that the opponent is someone more formidable than Montreal. And he's looking at a team that's legitimately a a a two-and-a-half or three-line threat coming at you. Every coach or in this case, assistant coach, wants to know that his top two pairings are going to get the job done. Top two. If you have three, you're in some rare air. That really just doesn't even exist in the NHL, not in a 31-team league. But if you've got two that you can count on, then you're really heading somewhere. And the Penguins, to their credit, took this defense corps and instead of trying to kind of mute the second and third pairings, which they could easily have done, they could have had uh, Schultz and Petterson play together and Marino and Jack Johnson, maybe try to kind of filter out the shortcomings of either Schultz, who still hasn't really gotten his game all the way back from where it was before, or Jack Johnson, who has some fairly significant shortcomings to his game. They could have done that. They didn't. They took the higher ceiling route here. That's what I love about it. Letang and Dumoulin, look, Letang is exactly what he is. He's high risk, high reward. There's going to be a game or two in the playoffs that he's going to single-handedly cost the Penguins. It's going to drive people nuts. It's all they're going to remember about him. And they're not going to remember all of the great things that he does on the ice, not least of which is logging the time that he does. Letang and Dumoulin are a top-level, top-pairing in this league. But you don't want to wear them down. You don't want them going 28, 29 minutes. As tempting as I'm sure that it is, you don't want it. And when you have a second and third pairing that's just kind of, uh, and they're splitting the time, then you're forcing that into the equation. This way, you're taking two young guys, two durable guys. Remember that John Marino missed time only because there was a puck that smashed him in the eye. Otherwise, he's playing the whole season. Marcus Pedersen, again, never misses a game. So if you know that you can count on them and you can get a good... I don't know, 23 minutes, something like that, out of them. Then you're using your top two pairings to maximum effect, and you're minimizing the third pairing, which helps you in a a bunch of different ways, not least of which is that you could use Schultz. Schultz can slide up and be anything as high as number one on your depth chart, and we know that because three years ago he was the guy who filled exactly that role when the Penguins beat the Predators. There's easy ways to make decisions. There's safe ways. And then there's ways like this that contribute to a higher ceiling. Look, the Penguins don't have, and we're never going to have this year, some kitty core coming up from Wilkes-Barre. Uh, Sam Lafferty's, Going to have a really, really hard time cracking this lineup. Anthony Angelo is not going to crack it at all. I don't think you're going to see any uh, AHL arrival here up front. It's just not going to happen. Maybe Tristan Jari could, you know, be your young guy in goal, but the best place to have it for this team at this time is on the blue line. I love the decision, I love the pairing, I love the thought process that goes behind it. I love the enthusiasm that I'm hearing from the Penguins themselves about the choice to do this. And the only people I can promise you who aren't going to love it are their opponents who are gonna get tired for looking for weak spots in this blue line. When we come back, as promised, practices have been wild. You know, I spent that whole first segment on Marino and Pedersen and the pairing, and I never mentioned that they've both been arguably the Penguins' most physical players. In these two practices, you don't really think of either of them that way, do you? I'm not sure I did either. Pedersen is a nasty SOB on the ice. You ever notice other teams are always trying to kill him? He and I joked about this once. Like, what, what is it that you're doing out there that's, that's ticking them off so much? This was in a locker room. This was a few months ago. And he looks up from his stall, as only he can with that sense of humor I mentioned, and says, look at this face, wouldn't you come after me? I'm not kidding, he actually said this. <laughs> he takes people off. Uh, Sullivan went out of his way to mention Marino's snarl in his own regard. That's That's Sullivan's terminology for that sort of thing, snarl. That's something else cool. We'll be getting into the snarl here in a second. This segment is always sponsored by the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. During normal times, one in seven people in southwestern Pennsylvania are food insecure, including one in five children. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from can be a scary thought. Now, during the pandemic, the need for food is even greater. If you're in need of food assistance or if you'd like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank's mission of feeding people in need, eliminating hunger in our region, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org and it's all spelled out, not the dot org. pittsburghfoodbank.org $1 can provide enough food for up to 5 meals. I'm not making that up. We've donated. They do the math for you. $1 provides enough food for 5 meals. There were some bodies getting banked. Uh, the practice yesterday was one of the highest tempo sessions I can recall seeing under Sullivan. I was a little surprised he did it as early as he did uh, in this camp. But he wanted to make a point, And maybe one that he didn't have to make. And that was that it's okay to hit. It's okay to bump each other. It's okay to get in each other's faces. When I heard him promised the day before that that was going to be a priority for the penguins my first thought was pandemic related um, they've just spent all of them four months of staying away from everybody and socially distancing and I'm sure you know six seven feet behind everybody in the grocery line and everything else and then they get to these voluntary workout sessions with ty Hennis, the skills instructor and again they were going out in these small groups of No more than six. And then later it was 12. But even then, they were told to, you know, kind of stay apart, uh, skate apart. They weren't doing any face to face anything, no bumping, whatever. So I thought, I thought that maybe this was something that Sullivan was going to have a hard time getting out of their system of convincing them that, hey, it's okay to do this. So I brought this up with the head coach, and his answer kind of threw me.
1: No, I think you know, by the, our guys are we got a pretty competitive group, and uh, I think it comes natural to them. And so, um, you know, something that we talked about on the ice today was just recapturing the edge that that our team plays with uh, and and we've got to bring that when we play against one another because that's gonna make us better. It's gonna make us all better when when we bring that certain edge uh, to our own respective games. so, uh, but but I think we've got a competitive group, and a lot of that comes naturally to our guys. And so we're we're just trying to put our guys in those types of situations, those types of activities, throughout the course of practices. Because as I said uh, yesterday, that's an aspect of their conditioning that uh, that they haven't really been able to address through the informal skates. And in order to get them game ready, uh, they're going to have to they're going to have to put their bodies through uh, that that grind game, that, that tight area game where I think a lot of our team thrives. And, and so we'll get into more of that as, the, as this mini training camp evolves, uh, but we've certainly started to introduce that already.
0: It is so true. Uh, I saw that practice yesterday and more than once had to kind of rub my eyes to make sure that what I was seeing was real. Uh, no, there was nothing vicious or cheap or dangerous going on. But there was body on body. There was shoulder into shoulder. Along the boards, there was legitimate pushing and shoving to get to pucks. Uh, Pedersen actually once put his left forearm, again, safely, not irresponsibly, but into uh, Sidney Crosby's upper back just to make sure that he couldn't get out of there. This was going on through the whole session. And... For Sullivan to introduce that component early on and then to have it embraced as opposed to thinking, you know, they're going to be a little bit pensive about this. To have it be embraced, it was like everyone became Brandon Tanev for a day. You know, they were all just having fun with it. They started even more than they did the day before to enjoy themselves, and the practice itself, the skating, became a higher tempo as a result. If it sounds like I'm going to start boring you with play-by-play of a 50-minute practice, no, I'm not going to do that, and I apologize. But I'm trying to give you a sense here for how this team, and this head coach in particular, are trying to ramp up toward that all-important Game 1 that I've been talking about for weeks now. They can't go in there at half speed, half motivation, half cautious. Leave that to the other guys if that's how Montreal shows up. But the Penguins can't take that aspect for granted. And working that out of their system, as they did yesterday and presumably will go right back to doing today, is going to mean an awful lot, I think, for this group moving forward. We don't think of the Penguins in general as a physical team. But I'm going to share with you an absolutely insane little factlet here. The Penguins lead the NHL in hits. Did you know that? Now, hits are a kind of an arbitrary statistic. Uh, they're tracked in every home rank by the home team's assigned official scorers, and there are places like the Islanders uh, were notorious for this for years, would really run up their hits. Like, guys who didn't even breathe on somebody were credited with seven hits after a game. So it's not the greatest stat that's out there. But the fact that the Penguins are even in the top 20 would surprise people, let alone at number one. And the reason for that, and this is why Sullivan stresses so much uh, multiple bodies and multiple sticks on the opponent and on the puck is that he wants them to have that mindset get in there and out-physical the other person for the puck it's not about being Darius Kasparaitis in 2020 it just isn't it's about having people who are strong on the puck who can lift the other guy's stick and come away with possession You know who I'm thinking of right now, actually, is Dominic Simone, who's not going to be available, obviously, uh, for these playoffs because of his shoulder surgery. But he fit this mold to a T, and it's one of the reasons the coaches loved him. If you sent him into a pack, and there were two, if he was outnumbered by two, even three, he would come out of there with the puck more often than not. And they loved that, and they would study it on film, and they would mark it down every time it happened. That's part of puck possession. It's part of sustaining the attack. It's part of putting pressure on the other team's defense. They love that stuff. They should. That's part of who the Penguins are. Sullivan refers to that as being physical. So the first part of his implementation or his re-implementation of his system of getting the Penguins to own the puck, to own possession, was to cross the bridge of being physical again, in his eyes. They achieved that yesterday. Yes, it was just a practice. No, I'm not overinflating it. But it needed to happen, and the fact that it happened on day two is a credit not only to the coaches, but also to the leadership of the team and really to the players, because as you heard Sullivan tell me, he didn't have to do much. You know, it was the equivalent of dropping the bucket of pucks and saying, go get them, boys, and that's what they did. That is a great sign, great sign going forward for this team. Now they got to go out there and do it again today. Coming up at 3 p.m., Jeff Hartman will have Back Through the Tunnel, which always features another member of our staff. Good show. Give it a listen. Again, it's at 3 o'clock. And I will plead with you one more time. To download our podcasts automatically by going to your podcast platform. Go into settings. Make sure you have us set to auto download. Even if you don't listen to all of our podcasts, having them downloaded really helps us out. appreciate you listening to this one. Thank you.
2: Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your bike, your computer, your window, your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home, car, and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you own a firearm, it's your responsibility to store it safely when it's not in use. Choose a system that works for you. Cable locks, lock boxes, and gun safes are some of the most effective ways to protect your family and keep firearms secured. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure and find out how to get a free firearm safety kit. Visit projectchildsafe.org. That's projectchildsafe.org. If you have a firearm, own it, respect it, and secure it. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.